Welcome everybody to, what are we at, episode number 11? No, we're 12. 12? Uh, <laughs> must be, I don't know. <laughs> we'll work that out, we'll put that up for you. <laughs> uh, man, a bit of a uh, strange time, so I mean, as you can, people can tell we're not in the studio together. No, so, we are um, self-isolating. Yeah, the world's gone fucking mad, I tell you. Crazy times, and it's you know a bit like living in an episode of The Simpsons at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a good analogy yeah. of it. It's a it's very fucking weird, very weird. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's a dark time in um. These are unprecedented times in our history. You know, we've we've yeah. never lived through such a crisis, um, and we're only no. at the beginning. Sadly, the first of all was uh, was live music. So they announced on the yeah. uh, Friday the 13th, ironically, that, you know, all music venues were going to be shut down within days, and they did on the 16th. They completely show, uh, completely closed all venues for live music, you no know, gatherings, indoor, above 500 people. I mean, that cancels yeah, out. Yeah, above 500. Edmore, yeah. Factory, Metro Theatre, uh, Horton Pavilion. I mean, that's... Yeah. Across the board, they're gone. Plus, plus whatever festivals were were coming. So download, uh, blues fest. Blues fest. Um, blues. Right. I know. I know. Download, mate. I'm so I'm cursing so bad. It was my chance to see Clutch, which have been like, uh, I I can't. I'm, I'm I'm trying not to think about. It. It's too fucking depressing. Yeah. Well. So look, we're gonna yeah. do. We're, Dave Matthews Band, my unicorn. Oh yeah. I so just I, read that. I, yeah, so I had Blues Fest tickets specifically to see Dave Matthews. Uh, and then the night I flew back on the Wednesday, I had tickets to see him at the ICC. I was going to see him twice in two days. Okay. Yeah, as 25, uh, 25 years I've been trying to see him all over the world. Keep missing him. Yeah. Fucking unicorn. Well, you, you need to get him to run a comp like you did with Pearl Jam. Mm. <laughs> you exactly. had to win a contest to finally get to see them. So true. With my unicorn story, yeah. it went down very well. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, guys. So, Paul, I mean, how how do you feel? I mean, you've been put well, off work. It's, it's pretty bizarre. Yeah, well, I, I'm I'm not working at the moment, but I'm in a in a in a lucky position where I'm still getting paid. Um, the you know my company that I work for, we we're an auction house, so we can't run auctions. Because we can't have, well, as of today, what midnight last night, you can't have more than two people in in one room, pretty much, you know. Um, so we'll be okay. We'll, you know, we'll be looking at to do some on, online stuff, and I'm I'm in a much better position than many many millions of other people. Um, just just to put things into perspective for 
um, people might be listening or, or looking at us from overseas. Andrew and I only live 80 kilometres away from each other. It's not far. It's it's at the most it's an hour and ten minute drive, and we're not allowed in the same room. So it's it's kind of bizarre. Very it's strange. like just to, to think that I can't just go to Sydney and hang and do whatever. It's just well, yeah. No, we've never had these any sort of restrictions on our life, like our freedoms like that. It's it's quite bizarre. Yeah, I mean, it's odd being in Bruce Bordell studio by myself. <laughs> Yeah. really strange I mean uh, you know for um, uh, 11 episodes you've been sat right next to me for the last uh, year for every podcast and um, yeah. you know I was setting up tonight and um, pulling out knotted cables out of the bags which I believe is your job it was just a weird <laughs> feeling I was just like I don't normally do this job this is a fucking plebs job yeah. I'm tech <laughs> Oh, no, I'm just a creative talent. It's all good. We're doing a, a bit of a, um, a Corona special, if you like. Um, we've got two really awesome guests who are giving up their time and, and wanted to come in and have a chat with us. Gally, an artist who's a good friend of yours. Um, he is. A, Gally's a uh, Irish folk singer who's played all over the world from um, France, you all through the UK, Canaries, Brazil, uh, been based in uh, Melbourne for over 10 years now. Um, an amazing, a, a true artist. A snob when it comes to music. Sounds like my kind of guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you'll get on real with But a phenomenal talent. We'll have all his uh, socials up and his website. So please go and uh, listen to him. Uh, every little bit of support will count. Uh, second guest we have is another good friend of Galley's and mine, uh, Nick Martin, a.k.a. Nick the Genius. Known as Nick the Genius because he's, he's a phenomenal mind of figuring things out. He is a major events producer. Now, he's the guy that you go to when there's a problem. And he will turn to you and say, there's no problem, there's only solutions. And he'll give it to you. And he gets shit done. But I've, uh, I've worked with Nick before. You stand back in awe of the way he can just foresee everything that's about to happen and everything's going on and cut it off before it happens and just get the show running so smoothly. I mean, from the Commonwealth Games to, uh, you know, huge yacht regattas in the Caribbean, Nick's done it all. And well, I was, just, I, was just, I was just reading his, um, his resume on LinkedIn, right? Um, so business, business manager for Stage Kings, event director, World Cruising Club, head of operations, TSE Group, Executive producer, frontside events, senior producer, producer, IMG Culinary, uh, festival co-creator, Star Entertainment Group, guest speaker, international boat show, uh, production manager, Vivid. I mean, this is over the years, going back to you know 2014. Um, head of motorsport, talent, Top Gear Festival, Brisbane International Tennis. Like you talk, like it's a wide fucking range of oh, events. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. not just music, mate. Like it's it's crazy. Oh no, uh, the, guy's, the guy's done everything. So um, we'll get to meet him in the, in a few moments. Uh, you know, it's it's a bit it's a bit hard to do that. To, you know, you've got Nick the genius on one side, and then you've got Galley. And I, I, yeah. I apologise. I owe everyone a case of beer. Because you should not have your phone on during recording of anything, and that is golden yeah. rule. 
But um, but that the, makes the, up for my lead role. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the boys are coming in thick and fast. So hang on. Yeah. Well, let's. Uh, well, let, let, let's do you want to have a break here, and then and then we'll yeah, um, let's, uh, let's jump everyone back in. Yeah, let's round this out for a minute and. Uh, yeah. Be patient because we are testing out a four-way Skype, which we've never done before. But uh, no. this is where I shine. That's it. This is the brilliance. <laughs> the brilliance that is Brew Robinson. Well, I'm going to go grab a cup of tea. Let me know when you're ready. All right, <laughs> All right asshole. Welcome back, everybody, to the Ziola podcast, a special edition, coronavirus edition if you like. Uh, we've got two special guests with us today, Nick and Gally. Welcome, guys. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Um, this is an odd episode for us. Normally, we're talking just music and stuff that we love and stuff that we grew up listening to. Um, but I still want to get some just some musical impressions from, from you guys. So can you tell me, guys, what we are listening to today? <laughs> Good question. Anything at all. Anything at all. I, uh, I didn't listen to my. I was trying to write a song. That's what I was trying to do. <laughs> I spent my days trying to write a song, so I didn't really listen to anything. So, no, I'm a, I'm a big um, I'm a big radio listener. Can you believe I don't? I deliberately don't have iTunes. I know that's a shock to everybody, but um, I I just listen to new music all the time. So I listen to um, Triple J. Yeah, I was listening to Daniel Ratliff and the Night Sweats, and then finished it off while I was setting up with the Marcus King Band, uh, the album Carolina. Fucking amazing! It's really, really been doing uh, good things for my soul. What were you listening to, Paul? Me today, I did a tour. I think had a bit of tour on cooking dinner. Oh, yeah, that was about yeah. Mate, you know, you know, Tool was, was the, um, I saw Tool at Reading in 1996. No, earlier, 1990. Yeah, I think it would have been 1996. That was the first festival I ever went to. Yeah, yeah. I'll go you one better, Nick. I saw them in 1993 at the Santa Cruz Auditorium. Stop it. It was a, it was a basketball court in Santa Cruz. Yeah. No. no, I think yeah. I saw him in 94 or 95 at the whatever alternate nation was out at Eastern Creek in Sydney. I think that was uh, 94 probably. Well, I wish I'd no. never mentioned it then. Tell me quickly, guys. Big do, guns. do you guys remember what, you, what your first gig was that you ever went to? Maybe your first, very first gig that you're like rock gig, like not, not you know, mum and dad, like go by yourself, go with your mates, that sort of stuff. First gig you uh, paid for the ticket. Yeah, know. paid for as well, like no one paid for you. Well, I'm going to go give away my age here. I think I was about 12. I went to the very first end of the road gig by status quo. Amazing. That's great. You know, Gally, I had a a, um, thing pop up in my Facebook today that reminded me that Gally Gally was uh, playing at um, that festival, mate. Where were you at that festival that we went to seven years ago when you were playing on the stage just before Status Quo? You know, there's a few. Do you remember that? 
And they were. Oh, they were, uh, Daniloquin. Daniloquin, that's right. Yeah, we were then. God, they were bad. <laughs> that was, they were, weren't they? They were as bad as, yeah. But Jesus, that was a good festival. We done this festival in, where was it? Northern Victoria somewhere, or the Arts Centre somewhere, and Daniloquin. Mm. And so they, they got us in, and I'm, I'm sitting in, they gave us a dressing room, like these kind of cabins at the back. And I'm sitting on the porch in my, my cabin on my own. I'm sitting there with like a hoodie. I've got a backpack with a six, ca- six bottles of beer, my acoustic guitar. Next door is Chris Isaac, right? And he's got a rack of sequin suits outside his thing. He's sitting there. I'm like, hey, Chris. On the other side of me was Santana. <laughs> Just across the way, Bonnie Ray and Tony J. White were sitting there having a conversation. And Jimmy Cliff and his band were just across the way. And I was just sitting there in a hoodie, (coughs) just drinking beer on my own. That was just before you guys arrived. It was an exciting lineup, wasn't it? That was, um, I don't know if you guys remember, you know, the Blues Fest guys um, tried it for a couple of years where they shipped everybody to Deliquin on the days that they weren't playing a Blues Fest and did like a a festival like that. And uh, Gally was on the lineup. It was amazing. Nice. Yeah, it was really, it was really anyway, good. Anyway, all right, we went answering your question. Well, my my first paid gig was I can't remember whether it was like I went to that Reading Festival. It might have been the first one I went to. That was when I just got my GCSE results. I think in England I was about six, I don't know, sixteen or something. And they this can you believe the school actually gave us they let us have our results. There was five of us that went just on our own for the weekend. And they let us have our results a day before everybody else, just so we could go to the festival. How's that? <laughs> it's not bad. It's not bad, is it? Yeah, and I saw some amazing bands there. You know, like um, Porno for Pyros are playing. You know, um, Perry Fowles' group. Um, soon after James Addiction had been stood up, that was incredible. Loads of bands like you know New Order. That, um, you know, lots of bands that I hadn't really, I'd sort of heard of, but hadn't really seen. And it was my first, first paid gig, but also first festival. It was quite an eye opener at 16 to see people on acid. I, I, that was like, <laughs> were you at the, you mean, you, you mean, or, were you at, uh, sorry, bro. Uh, we did a uh, 95 Reading Festival was the only one that I went to. And that, that was a weekend that I'll never forget because it was, you know, for my musical taste at that point in time, it was the perfect festival. The Friday night was um, Hole, Smashing Pumpkins, Green Day, plus, wow. you know, great bands le- leading up to that. Uh, the Saturday was um, uh, Blind Melon, No Effects, uh, who else? Oh, Foo Fighters' first gig in yeah. Europe, wow. in which they put them in the tent, not the main stage, and after one song... Uh, they had to stop while security cleared the people who'd climbed up the poles of the tent. And Dave basically said, we can't play until about 500 people step out of this tent. It took about 15 minutes to get that amount of people. I didn't care. I was already like four from the front. Uh, saw that. And then the Sunday was, uh, oh, there was someone really big, but there was Soundgarden. Followed by Neil Young with Pearl Jam as his backup band for Mirable. Wow. Um, what a weekend. It was amazing, mate. I was, I mean, I was obviously there the year after you, so I know that tent you're talking about because um, 
Radiohead, Radiohead were playing on a side stage. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like Blur, I remember seeing Blur in that side tent, um, Stone Temple Pilots as well. You know, like these are like, you know, because obviously like that, that time, right, that mid early 90s was just like so many bands. Even, even today, you know, some of the best albums ever produced came out of that sort of, you know, 93 to 96 sort of time, didn't it? Great time. Great time to be alive. Yeah. Great time to grow up, mate. Mm. Yeah, we were lucky, fucking lucky. All right, so the million-dollar question is um, what do you listen to that, that is a guilty pleasure that you don't like other people to know? <laughs> oh, my God. If my, if, if my wife could hear me now, she'd literally rattle off stuff before I even start. Man, what do you say? Gally, I'm going to let you go first while I think about what I can actually say. <laughs> See, I, I, I don't really have guilty pleasure because everything I listen to, all my mates think I'm doing just shit. <laughs> so I, <laughs> everything I listen to is shit. I mean, I love Doris Day. Fucking love her. You know, I love all the movies from the 30s and the 40s, all the musicals. <laughs> love it. You know? Yeah. And don't get don't get me wrong, you know. I mean, you could stick on a good whatever. Uh, I can't even think of it. I'm trying to think of a cool band. I can't even think of a cool band. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love everything from Bob Dylan right the way through, you know. So, but I do love the old shit. I love it. Dean Martin, you know, uh, Sammy Davis, all of them boys. I love the old shit. Love it. Love a good right. musical, as, as long as it's like from the from the thirties and forties, that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't have a guilty pleasure because all my music tastes are shit. <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew he's going to trump me on this one because you know, like you, you, rat, you know, you rattle off that man. That's not uncool music. It's just cool music that's old. <laughs> <laughs> it's just cool music. You you guys just don't know it yet. <laughs> it's kitsch. <laughs> no, my. Well, the thing is, we were born at that time. Like, we didn't grow up the same year as you. Neither was I, you fecker. Feck off. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> oh, look, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm going to lose all your listeners if I. <laughs> there's only, like, there's I, only I two, listen. Nick. Sorry? <laughs> there's only two. <laughs> <laughs> we're, all in the, we're all in the room now. <laughs> That's it. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I do listen to anything and everything new. Um, and but you know, that does mean that does mean I hate to say that I probably have a bit of pop in there somewhere, not deliberately. But I like what I like is that I like the structure of music. Gally, Gally knows this as well. Like, I, I couldn't tell you a lyric from any song, man. I'm useless with the words, but I love listening to the music and the way it's structured and formed and. Um, you know, I grew up playing playing a lot of music and, and being in bands as well, and um, that's what I love. So for me, it's almost like regardless of the genre, that's what I'm listening to. I'm, that's what interests me, like the chords that they're using, whether the chords are the same in that pop song as they are in the rock song or whatever it is. So that's that's how I'm gonna um, that's how I'm gonna like chalk myself out of listening to <laughs> shit music sometimes. Get out of that one. <laughs> Nick, 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 just give us a name. Come on, George Ezra, Eddie, uh, Ed Sheeran. We know it's something shit. Come on, give us a All name. Right. All right, yeah, we'll, we'll say both of those then. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm never going to put it on. It's not on my playlist. I'm not going to buy it. But if I'm, if I'm listening to the radio and it comes on, I'll let it play. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I mean, people, here's a serious note. Triple J, listen to Triple J. I cannot listen to that because that's just pure dribble. It's just commercial fucking crap. I mean, granted, right, you might get a, a little bit of good music. They might play a Laura Marling or maybe a Nathaniel Rateliff, but most of it's just uh, industry-driven music. I mean, that station has just turned into... Um, it's getting... Who pays for the music to go on that station? Do you know, it's not like it was back in the... And I wasn't here back in the day, but back in the day, it was really driven by the DJs. Yeah, and right, driven right, yeah. by... But now it's driven by, uh, you know, the big companies, you know? So Unfortunately, you're right. I mean, growing up in Port, my generation, we were really... You know, they just come through the years of Double J formed into Triple J. We were right on the cusp of the, you know, the birth of that. And also that great, um, you know, sideshow of music that, that came along. You know, the, I hate using the term, but alternate music. I really fucking hate that term. Uh, grunge music. But that music that came through from 89 to, to 92, that was the real base of Triple J at the time. And... You know, things like Like A Version and uh, Live at the Wireless on Monday nights were fantastic, getting different bands. If you'd missed the gig, they would have recorded it and they'd play it on the Monday night. Uh, I mean, they still do it now, but it was, you know, bands that you really wanted to listen to, you know. Um, and, and look, great radio spots in the morning, you know. Uh, I know, Paul, you weren't a big fan. You weren't a big fan of uh, Angela Caterns in the morning. I didn't mind her. No. She had great games and she had good slots and stuff like that. And uh, uh, she did she did do a job. She did a job. She did a job. I mean, <laughs> I must have, you know, you know, we've been to we've been doing a few gigs together. Well, actually, thanks to you, I've been to a few gigs. But um, you know, when I was back in living in Sydney, you know, I'm down the coast now, but um, you know, I used to listen to FBI quite a lot as well, but um, sometimes it was a, a bit too out there for me, but I, the, FBI, the other one I listen to quite a lot radio station is Radio Six, you know, from the UK because that's kind of um, that is new music, and it's so far down the chain of BBC radio stations that they can kind of they don't really necessarily have the need for that. Um, I mean, it is effectively a commercial station, but um, it's much more, you know, salt of the earth kind of music for me anyway for listening to new music. But I must admit, you know, every time Galley. You know, half of the music Gally suggests or talks about, I, I've got no idea, which is my ignorance. Maybe it's my, maybe it's me not having uh, parents that are massive music lovers and not growing up with that. But all the stuff that Gally listens to is, I, I think it's great, man. Like the whole music stuff. I, look, I couldn't agree more. Every time I'm with Gally, you're always supposed to be onto someone new, like literally every time. That I mean, it's, oh, you know, play this or play that. And mm. I guess the other way, I say, oh, you know, well, I've heard this, listen to this, listen to that. He's like, nah. No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you like everything you suggest. Like, Bru, are you kidding me? What's wrong with you? Yeah. So, I listen to your good stuff. It's really cool. Now, this is my stuff. Appreciate it. No. It's fucking shit. Do you know one of the best pieces of advice I ever got given uh, was from a girl I used to work with who told me, she's Portuguese and she was just straight down the line. She said to me, it's important in life to know what you don't want. <laughs> true. That's true. That's Gally. Yeah. yeah, know what you don't yeah. like, yeah. Do there was a lot of shit music out there, so a lot. Yeah. I mean, thank God for the internet, you know, because we would be absolutely... I mean, all of us 
we were music lovers, we would be absolutely, you know, pulling our hair out. Well, me and Paul, maybe not, but, um, you know, because anything that's, anything that's commercial is so bad and so anything that's released and um, thrown down our throats by the, by the big industries, you know, your Ed Sheeran's and your George Ezra's, it's, and your, you know, your Taylor Swift's, it's so geared just for that young, very young uh, age group that we would be totally lost, you know I mean? You wouldn't find uh, bands in, uh, you know, I mean, back in the 60s, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan was a superstar. You know, he, he was a pop star. Do you know what I mean? This guy was a freaking poet. He's, he, he's Shakespeare. I mean, can you imagine Bob Dylan coming out nowadays? You know, you'd never, ever hear about him. But thankfully, we have the internet and we have, uh, you know, the likes of YouTube and that, where you can just go and you can type in anything. And I'll just, I would spend days just, you type in one name, and then you just go through the side windows and you just click on that. Don't like that, you just go to the next one and you just go surfing, searching for new music. I mean, that's where I find and Nathaniel Rayflip found him about four years ago, uh, even before he was in the Night Sweats, and that, uh, you know, uh, Iron and Wine, all of these guys. That's where I found all my music. So thank God for the, uh, for YouTube. Just, just, oh. just remember that um, YouTube also gave us Justin Bieber. So. <laughs> There you go, I rest my case. <laughs> it's always a flip of the coin, flip the coin, you know? Yeah, well, there you go, yeah, indeed. So we've got you guys um, on tonight just to talk about um, the, the shutdown of pretty much of the whole of the arts and entertainment industry as well as, you know, many other um, industries around the country. So I just want to get a, a quick idea from you guys of where, like, personally you're most affected. Uh, I know, Gally, now you've got pretty much like no gigs. I did see on your website that you're doing a, a, an internet gig in April, uh, which people can pay like 20 bucks or something and get a code to get on and, and, and watch the performance there. But so just, just from a personal perspective, just, just let us know where, where you guys are at and, and how things are affecting you at the moment. Um, I suppose the, the first thing, uh, maybe I'll tell you how I make my money as a musician. Right. Um, so um, most of my money, is, all, all my money really comes from live gigs. So I released an album about five years ago and it done relatively well. We sold about 5,000 copies. So I get to go out and go and tour, um, you know, regional. I was living down in Victoria, so a lot of regional Victoria. Uh, we get to gig maybe once every three months or so in Melbourne where you'd get anywhere. I was selling tickets from, you know, depending on how I sold the venue or how I sold, whatever venue it was and whatever type of musicians I was using, it was up to 300 people and you sell tickets for whatever, $27 right down to 50 people. So you might find a nice cool room where it's a you know, really good vibe. So you put on a little show, maybe me and my double bass player, and you'd sell just 40 or 50 tickets. So I was doing that in Melbourne, I was doing that in Victoria, and we'd go do some tours up the East Coast. We were doing a lot of tours on the on the West Coast uh, over in Australia. We also I also jammed a bit of work in, in Europe, so you do a little a couple of tours in Europe. I jammed some work in South, South America. We've done some tours and some festivals in South America. But it's a constant slog, so the way I make my money is every day I'm thinking three months to six months ahead. So I might plan a tour, and if it's a West Coast tour, uh, let's just I'll give an example. The last tour we did, we just came back from. So 
I've been working in Western Australia and it's a two year plan. So I go over there. Uh, I was gigging with me and my bass player went over. We built up a certain amount of crowd. We were playing to about, we sold out uh, a couple of venues with 100 people, 100 seater. So the next plan was to come back seven months later with a bigger band, bigger sound, play that kind of venue to 100, 150 again. I, I was pretty sure I was going to not lose money, but maybe break even, you know, and but do really, really good shows. And then six months later, I go back with just my bass player. And then you hopefully build it up to 300 seaters. And then that's where you start making your money. And if you get to, so that's a two year kind of plan. And if you get to the point where you're filling 300, 200, 300 seaters with just a small minimum band, that's where you can make five or six grand. You know, that's where you make your money. Now, the last yeah. time I was there, I brought over my fiddle player, my piano player, my bass player, and everything went well. We had a festival. Festivals don't play great for someone at my level, you know. And uh, one of the venues kind of fucked up. They are changing hands, their management left and all of that. So they didn't put a promotion in. So rather than getting 200 people in, we only got 100 people in. And that was my profit gone. So I managed to pay, I pay my band properly and I pay my, you know, I hired the guys like subcontractors. I offered them a certain amount of money. I paid their flights, I paid a pair of dems, I paid their accommodation, taxis from the airport, everything. So for that four-day little run, five-day little run, that cost me seven thousand dollars, right? Uh, that's just paying the band, and that's paying the band not great. It's just paying standard three hundred dollars a gig, so they get three hundred dollars each gig. So that cost me seven thousand dollars. Now, because the venue fucked up and didn't promote it right, I had to hire a publicist, which cost me four hundred dollars just to kind of push them tickets up to the point where I wasn't losing any money. Now for that tour, um, the whole revenue cut, uh, came to $7,300. So for that five day tour, I made $300. Um, now, well, actually five days, actually I'm telling a lie, because that was three days in Western Australia and three days in Victoria. Because my, my band is in Victoria, so the expenses were a little bit less. But so for them two, day, two weekends, I made $300. Now you go take another tour that I did six months ago, and that was a success and I made you know, whatever it was, $4,000 for that. So it's like, it's just crazy. You're riding it and anything that goes wrong can really mess it up, right? So and in between tours and in between trying to promote yourself. Uh, so I'm, I'm self-managed, self-promoted. I hire publicists every now and again. So I do all the artwork, all the promotion, all the booking, everything from booking hotels, everything like that. So it's a, Full on, full time, 12 hour a day job, especially coming up to a tour, it's 12, 16 hours a day. Plus, you got to write and you got to record and you got to get your merch and you got to, it's, it's all that. But we love it and that's what we do, you know, and you do it because it's a long term thing. I'm hoping in five years' time I can go and, and make some really, not five years' time, two years' time, next album, make some really, really good money. But it doesn't matter, I make a living and I make, a good live, well, not a great living, but a normal living. Uh, I feed my kids and I pay my rent. Now, in between them tours, I also gig in bars and everything else under a different name, do cover gigs and do whatever, corporate gigs, anything to pay the rent. So that's the way I make my money. So when I make about $70,000 a year, right? Give or take. 
sometimes more, sometimes less. Right? Coronavirus comes, boom, it's gone. Every single thing is gone, and it's gone for the foreseeable future. So there's no, there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. There's no rent. There's no, everything is gone. So how does it affect us? Well, keeps you awake a lot. I've drank a lot of wine in the last week and a half, you know. Um, so the missus just started a job. She's a teacher. So hopefully she'll keep it. Well, she won't keep a job, but, you know, hopefully it goes. But it's fine. So the whole world's in the same position. So if we can, I'm thinking, right, if I could just tread water for the next six months, as in pay the rent, and I have two to $300 to put food on the table, kids will never know. They'd be happy, and we'll have the crack. And we'll just have a laugh, and then six months' time, we'll reboot. Now, regarding the music industry, I don't know whether we're going to be able to reboot at all. For someone like me, you know, I don't know, I am very, I don't know, I just honestly don't know how it's going to, how I'm going to restart this whole thing. So at the moment, I'm Nick and Nick's, I'm Nick and Nick, I'm Robin Nick's idea, he was talking about being a postman. So this, this is what I'm thinking now, right, okay, so this is it, this is the world we now live in, my, my industry is dead. And who knows? I mean, this whole touring thing might be over forever, you know? It might not, but nobody knows. And also, when you work, you're working three months in advance. So three, four months' time, they might go, okay, we're starting to get back together again. Okay, I'll book a tour. Who wants to book a tour? Oh, I don't know. It's a bit dodgy. So you're talking about six months, a year, maybe? So no income. So that's how it's affected us. Yeah. Yes, imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Look, look, man. You know, I grew up in fucking Dublin, right? And it was shit. You know, when I left school, they told us, uh, they showed us how to sign on the doll, and they gave me a phone number of a guy I could ring in London to to do some labouring. So it was shit. And you know what? We had a crack. We had a fucking laugh. You know, we got on with it. I used to go busking on the streets. I'm good at drawing. I used to go drawing on the streets with some pastels on the ground, which is really hard in a rainy <coughs> country like Ireland. You just got omra. You know what I mean? You make money. You know what I mean? You make money, you do it, right? So the world, the arse falls out of the world. It's a hell of a lot worse than a hell of a lot of other places. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're in Australia. Australia is one of the best places on the planet. We're extremely lucky, you know? I mean, I've got a beach 100 meters from here that still goes surfing. So, you know, me yeah. and my mates are my mates are home are sitting in a flat in Dublin, and they can't leave their leave their flat, and it's fucking raining out, and the pubs ain't open. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, it's not the end of the world. It's pretty. It's pretty. It's yeah. It keeps you awake at night, but it's not the end of the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, that's really emotionally affected me hearing you say that because I know yeah. your family so well and I love your family so much. Um, yeah, someone else, <laughs> Look, it's all right because my, my... Oh, no, and, and I my... understand that. you've got a beautiful family. I mean, you, like you say, you've got a beach 100 meters away, but you've got five meters from you and a beautiful wife and two gorgeous boys. 
And as long as they're happy, like you say, if they don't even notice what's going on for the next six months, then you're going to have a great crack. And I know that's what you'll do. You'll, you, you, you'll make that happen in your house. That's the person you are. I mean, it's uh, as a friend of yours, it's, you know, I, I knew this was coming, but to hear it out of your mouth and the reality of it has just really sunk in with me. And, but uh, then they'll never, they'll never know. The kids will have a great crack. You know what I mean? I mean, we'll, we'll get paid. The rent will be paid. The rent will be paid somehow. And they'll never go hungry. And they will never know. They will just grow up and have it, have to crack. Remember that time we were off school for six months? It was great. They'll never know. They'll have the best time of their life. You know what I mean? I've already lost my hair. I don't have much to lose. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's just that's just the way it is. It is. It's it's funny. I think. I mean, I was listening to that as well, Gally. I mean, I've you know, Bruce known you for a very long time, and um, for for those listening as well. I mean, I've Gally and I. Gally and I actually met uh, when we were both living in the Canary Islands off Morocco 20 years ago. Actually, I just think about the day, Gally, it was 20 years ago this year that we met. Um, and Gally, I- I've got no doubt, mate, that you would, you'd be the most surprised that you've survived through this with your, with your music. Because, you know, I've heard you so many times sort of saying, geez, I don't know how I'm going to get through next week or next month or whatever. You know, and that was before you had kids, so before you kind of had real responsibilities you know that um and you know you're a survivor and i think it's a, it's a very um typical characteristic of, of a musician and also i'd say you know what i do you know i'm a um, live event major event producer you know i create and produce major events and festivals so it's slightly different what we do day to day between me and galley but we we work in the entertainment industry and by default we are creative people right and therefore we kind of roll with things um you know where our daily lives is challenges i mean certainly what i do every day is like you know people will throw me curveballs left right and center the closer you get to a major events and festivals basically you know you just get problems that are bigger than you are um all the time all day all day every day and the only way that um you get through that in terms of your just a normal job is that um you just keep smiling. You have to just kind of go, look, um, you know, you just keep smiling and keep going and one step in front of the other and, and off you go. But I think, uh, you know, whilst what Gally and I do is different, um, I think that the nature of the entertainment industry, live music, particularly live events, is that we are all survivors. We're all adaptable people. We all have a certain element of creativity amongst us. And those kind of characteristics is what, sees you through times like this to be honest and makes you laugh at, at it you know um yes you know you do you've got to take it seriously you know when, if you're talking about your health you, we've got you know we've got young kids um we've actually been in self-isolation as a family for two and a half weeks now um you know both, both my kids are quite susceptible to heavy viruses and they've ended up in hospital a few times from it so we don't want to take any risks um but there's a serious element of course there is there's a health but in terms of the financial side of things you know, we're kind of all screwed, really. Um, so what do you do? What do you do? You've got to, you've got to just be more creative and you've just got to roll with it and work it out, right? You know, it's like Galton as well. We do live, we do have the fortune to live in Australia. You know, we're not living in poverty here, um, you know, in relative terms. It's, actually, that reminds me of something that's really, you know, th- this kind of thing gets you thinking, right? And also you have a lot more time to think because you're sitting around a lot more. Um, and it, it occurred to me, and I know, Gally, you might um, 
Agree. I mean, Gally was saying earlier, you know, he's, he's toured and played a lot in Brazil um, and got to know the locals a lot. You know, Brazil's a full-on country and I've been very lucky to work uh, in lots of countries all around the world and some of them very poor places. Um, and it always, one of the things that fascinates me about really genuinely poor countries, Central South America or like, you know, Egypt, Colombia, places like this, is, is the strength of uh, people's ethics and moral as people so even the, it's almost like the more poor they are the stronger their sense of respect um uh like community companionship um honesty to a way loyalty all these things which are fundamentally important it's almost i've always also come to the conclusion that these are freedom is something you can you afford you know people say you can buy freedom well they're talking about materialistic things but Freedom is really something that you, uh, it's just part of the environment you're in. And I don't know if you'd agree with that, Gally, but I mean, when, so you see all these things where, you know, where people have nothing, that actually those characteristics, it's, it's actually a more important part of survival to be, you have to be honest and loyal and trustworthy because otherwise you ain't going to survive because you're going to get cut out of the system. And my point of saying this, I guess, um, was that I've really started noticing this in the last few weeks in Australia with um, interactions and things I've seen in the industry and the people that people seem to have increased their ethics and their like morality in a way, in a small way. I've just seemed to notice this a little bit because suddenly we're all like, oh shit, no, this isn't ideal. You know, we're here in Australia. We're very used to having the, probably one of the best lives in the, on the planet really in terms of a country. Uh, And it's suddenly a bit like head scratching. Geez, we're not used to this feeling. Um, and it, for me, it's fascinating seeing how that people react to that. I don't know what you think, Gally. I mean, in terms of your experiences in Brazil, if that's if you think if you've had the same experience. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Um, yeah, I mean, just as an example, I mean, Ireland was like really, really poor. I mean, they used to call it a second world country. I don't really ever heard of that term before, second world country. But it was it was pretty poor. And then does that mean uh, they're working us? Like me. <laughs> wow. Wow. Sorry, bro. Uh, but wow. Yeah, and then Ireland got this crazy uh, you know, false economy in the in the late nineties, um, or early two thousands, and everybody suddenly had money and everybody just turned into wankers. It was just just everybody just turned into shitheads and, and it was everybody in a, a, had an attitude. You know, and then the arse fell out of everything about 10 years ago. And everybody's starting to be um, cool again, you know. But you're right, yeah, but it does. I mean, when everybody has nothing, you know, it does, does, does the, that sense of community does most definitely. Um, it's what you're left with. Yeah. I can vouch for it. Brew and Paul, I can vouch for where Galley grew up being a, a second world country because I'll, I'll tell you a little story. I went there on my 31st birthday i went to dublin to spend a week with galley and he played some incredible gigs in Whelan's bar it was just a, it was just an amazing week um but he also decided that he would spend most of the week educating me on how bad the english were uh <laughs> in relation to irish history and showing me this and i'm literally mean no, all no, day no, every day wait, 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 wait. i mean he was incredibly knowledgeable about it so it was fascinating but also interesting but the thing that he found most funny um was 
and unknowingly to me, he decided that on my birthday, he would take me to the place where he grew up, which, um, you know, it's not somewhere that English people are either go to or are welcomed in. And uh, <laughs> of course, he didn't, tell, he didn't tell me any of this before we went there. We went with uh, a couple of his aunties who, are, who I'd met in the Canary Islands on their various um, cigarette runs to and from the Canary Islands. Uh, and uh, anyway, so we went to Northside in Dublin and, you know, I just thought we'd just go out for my birthday. Oh, we go out, we go out where I grew up. Oh, awesome. That'd be great fun. And then we literally, we walked in the bar. I, I remember just walking in the bar, vivid as it is today. And uh, there's two women sat at the bar who'd be in their 70s, just smashing pints. And I was like, wow, I don't think I've seen that before. And, and then we just sat down and, um, I mean, they looked after me, but, you know, I think on the way home, Gally told me that the dude I'd been sat next to was mouthing off a bit, was a, you know, well-known murderer in the area and uh, whatnot. And uh, I, I, it's probably, the, you know, I'm, most of my mates know that I talk far too much. It's possibly the least I've ever said in one night. <laughs> so I can vouch for uh, Gally knowing about yeah what it is for in terms of community and, and uh, growing up. Yeah. Uh, in fairness, it probably wasn't as uh, scary as I was letting on. I was probably winding you up a bit. <laughs> um, yeah, me, but me, just a, a resourcefulness. This is what I'm doing, right? This is like how the hell am I getting money in? So I've started to do. Dog portraits. <laughs> they are amazing. The screen's a bit blurry. So if you know of anybody who wants to buy a dog portrait, I'm doing them for $300. There you go. For those of you listening at home, I will vouch as a third party that they are amazing. He's not, it's not like a stick in, it's not like a stick in set, but he's just doing a classic musician and trying to wing it for a bit of cash. Like this no, is talented artist, talented artist, uh... You know, on, on, on the paper and uh, on the guitar as well. Well, look, at this stage again, I think everybody, I mean, even you said it, Nick, the other day, you were looking at being a postman, you know. So yeah, definitely. Day two. I mean, so you know, many my, people are going to have to reinvent themselves. So, I mean, it was, you know, like I said, you know, I do, I do, um, you know, live production. I was working on things and two, well, three weeks ago now, um, I was in Melbourne Sorry, Nick, for a couple of days. Sorry, for one second. Mm. Just, just your listeners, um, Nick. Um, I don't really, but he hasn't explained it to him. Nick's got one of these crazy minds that he can just do a zillion things at the same time. But, but he actually explains it better. He says, "I don't do a zillion things at the same time. I do one thing <laughs> and do it, and then move on." But he, like I've seen him organize. Uh, just as an example, we've done this uh, quadathlon in the Canaries, where he was organizing. Um, he had to organise whatever, you know, a few hundred police, a few thousand competitors, thousands of uh, spectators. Um, it was a cycle from one end of the, the island, had to organise that. Uh, it was a swim from one island to another, had to organise all the zodiacs, all the, the scuba divers, the safety. And then it was a sail as well, had to organise support boats, blah, 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 this freaking huge thing. He also trained for it. And he was also managing uh, an apartment oh, at the same time. So his mind works in these, he always fascinates me that his mind can work and do all of these incredible things. This is why he's really, really good at his events and all of that. So he'd have 
anywhere from a few hundred people underneath him and he would he he fakes it i think till he makes it <laughs> but he would um he lets on that he knows what everybody needs to be doing uh, every single time and uh, okay. i've worked under him a few times under under different things and his, his mind is quite you don't meet many people with uh, well, when, when Paul asked me who we were doing, he said, oh, you know, I want to find out who these guys are. What's Nick's last name? And I, I went blank and I texted him back and went, the genius. <laughs> he's like, no, no, seriously, what's his last name? I went, hang on, I'll text Scout. And he's going, what's Nick's last name? Message came back like in lightning speed, the genius. Yeah. But, I mean, it's only because I couldn't, I couldn't be arsed writing Nick in brackets, fake it till you make it, and the brackets, the genius. <laughs> and he, he doesn't actually know my surname either, I'm sure. <laughs> See, I, I worked with Nick once, and Nick got me a job, and it was we were, we were setting up for a TV cooking thing or something. We had to move stuff out. It was MasterChef, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, it was MasterChef. We had to set them up, and we were hired as just labourers. Mate, that was a dogfight, wasn't it? It was a chain game like everybody else. It took Nick about 45 minutes and a few words in such and such as ear saying, you should really do it like this. Before I knew it, Nick and I were both managers and we stood there just... We were... He was relaying me what I had to tell those people to do and all of a sudden, we lift a fucking box the entire day. We were like, yep, you there, you there. And Nick was just like feeding me my life. Just just stick with me, bro, you'll be right. Next year, I... We had the whole thing set up in half a time of the guy who didn't know how to cut, uh, compartmentalise or didn't know how to run the show. He just, I don't know what you said in his ear, Nick, with the little magic Nick words, and then bang, next day I knew, all right, you two managers, you run this show. And the guy walked away, left us, the French guy. They were a bit overwhelmed, weren't they? It was for MasterChef um, when they were doing a pop-up dining thing, and they were a bit overwhelmed, yeah. Um, and I just, yeah, you're right, we just went in as... as Mucking and packing, packing cutlery in a box in me. I, I, it's mate, it's, I can't handle it. I, like I just <laughs> have to organise everything. It's like, and, and I, I just, I just said to him, I was like, look, um, the, I said I'm not being funny here, but you've got three days to build this restaurant, and I'm telling you now, you're not going to get it done. And he sort of had a look of panic. He had a look on a panic on his face, and I was like, but. <laughs> You can get it done if, but I said, what you need is like all these 25, 30 people that are here now, you need to give them all to me. Me and Brew are going to turn this around. We're going to run this. You don't need to be anywhere near here, but I can guarantee it will get done. And he was, he was like, looked at me in the sort of half panic, half relief. <laughs> um, but you know, you know, it's just. And we, it's, and we did, we got it in and out. Oh, and, look. and even like, I, I, I was gobsmacked because Nick was just like feeding me like, this is Brew, this is what we're doing. Just run with it. I went, okay. Next thing I knew, we had, because people were just grabbing boxes, putting them over here, putting them over there, and all of a sudden it was just like Nick. Nick's brain just went, right, compartmentalise everything. This is going to be in order, and this is going to be like this, and then it's going to flow like that. It is. And within half a day we had a system set up with these 20 workers where they were just like little ants for us going, dosh, 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 yeah. all the way through. It was amazing. And the whole thing went in, unbelievable. I uh, we were there for the outs as well. I can't remember. Was I there for the Yeah, outs? we were a bit out. I went down to Melbourne as well and gave my hand with that thing. But the, I mean, it's all it's very kind what you're saying, guys. Um, the well, I mean, it was one of the things I learned in 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 events. Bruce saying we did this, we did that. Oh, mate, he was, you just stood there. 
No, no, no. Honestly, I'm telling you now, and I'm not blowing smoke up your ass, mate. Brew is a natural. He's a natural. <laughs> I was amazed. Do you want me to turn that up a little? No, he's, he is. He's a natural. I'm going to buy him any day. I can um, take direction. I'm not a genius, but I can take direction. But you know what I learned uh, in events is that the key to efficiency is minimizing movement. That was... That is one of the biggest things I've learned in events. And, and that's a classic example of what was wrong with that gig. You just, if, you minimize movement of, if you minimize movement of people and things, your efficiency automatically increases and goes through the roof. And that's how you have that's to manage example. it. If you've got no time and a thousand things to do, that's what you have to do. Give us an example. What do you mean? Like moving well, I mean, that was a classic mind. example of what we did. We, we had a big, a huge warehouse where the space was too big for the amount of stuff we were moving around. So people were going to go, oh, I'll just put all the stuff over there because I don't need it yet. It's like, no, no, where, where's it going to end up? Put it where it's going to end up. Don't put it over there and then move it again tomorrow. And, and don't have 12 people carrying stuff from one side of the room to the other. Do a chain or put it in order. Like, do not move people because if you, it's the same in a restaurant. Um, it works the same in a restaurant, it works the same on an event site, in a bar. If you add up the distance that people walk and the time it amounts to take them, um, it seems like nothing. But if you multiply up those seconds by the people and the time, then that's money, man. And, that, and you, but ultimately, regardless of money, you get shit done quicker. That's how you do things quickly. You yeah, minimize everything. Everybody else thinks, right, how can I get this done as quick as possible? You actually calculate the distance that people are walking go, it's too much. And that's yeah. how we sort this out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Working great. Right. Love, Love it. it. Love the way your mind works. It's fucking brilliant. <laughs> I've been telling Nick for years, give up this fucking dream of event management and manage <laughs> me for fuck's sake. You'll make no money, but you'll have a great time. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, let's 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 uh, let's circle back, uh, Paul. All right. So, it, it, looking online, seeing a couple of different things. Um, the, obviously, the Arts Alliance and the I lost my gig website. Getting feedback, sort of, you know, estimating money, how many people out of work, and the government's throwing around. You know, oh, we're throwing you know 130 billion dollars of stimulus. We're doing this, that, and the other. How in 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 your minds would you see any of that money filtering through in, in just into the arts in general? You know, like it, most artists. I mean, I, I work for you guys know I work for a, an art auction house, so I meet a lot of painters and and you know people people like that. They live hand to mouth, most of them. There's a few exceptions, um, you know, that that are, that are quite successful. Um, but the majority of them, they're waiting for us to call them to to, to pay them for it, for the last auction or to pick up some more paintings from them. The money that and the, the numbers that get thrown around are so huge and ridiculous. Can you see any of that coming through to 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 the ground level to the you know to the the the, the people that are most susceptible, the guys that are on you know short you know, gig contracts, you know, or if the you know film industry they're doing that that show and that's it and that the gigs the gigs over does any of that you see any of that coming through yeah well you're you're, you're very right i mean we we basically live um gig to gig you know most of the people that are at my my level that are full-time and just you know we're just scraping by to you know uh, averaging 12 to 15 for lucky a week 
yeah, it's um, it's gig to gig. So it's when it stopped, it stopped. You know, it literally just freaking stopped. And and and, I mean, just to put it in perspective, my last album was uh, I put in twenty five thousand dollars into yeah. that record. You know, now I've done some crowdfunding. I've got fifteen thousand, but um, I recently made an EP and I put seven thousand dollars in that. The album before the last one, I put twenty five thousand dollars of my own money in. And plus there was an EP before that. So, I mean, all up, there's like at least $100,000 going into constantly. You're constantly reinvesting in, in, in your career. Um, regarding it trickling down, down to me and guys like me, I doubt it. Because you're self-employed, though, too, does that make it harder to go to, like, you know, new start or any, any sort of, you know, on the doll in any way, shape, or form, like so. What they've done with the with self-employed, um, so we can yeah, get the job seeker, and, and we, they've done mm-hmm. a, um, a stimulus for uh, like a COVID nineteen stimulus. So it's like you get the job seeker allowance plus uh, an extra five hundred and whatever it is, five hundred odd. Yeah, I think it's five fifty three, isn't it? Every fortnight. Yeah, every fortnight. So it works out about 1100 every fortnight. So mm. yeah. yeah, so it doesn't yeah, pay the rent. It's, it's rent. I'm just putting uh, in a kick in the head. But, you know? but yeah, you know, I, mean, I must admit, I, I look at it. Um, I yeah, I mean, it's it's not enough. It's not. But I, I must admit, I I know I, you know I won't get any friends for saying this, but in some ways, I do sympathise a little bit with the government. I mean, the government is there to try and lead. This is an unprecedented thing, and they clearly can't pay everybody's wages, and and it's impossible. You know, so. They need to do something, and the best they can do is try and distribute what they've got uh, in, in a fairly even and fair way. Um, I, I think that's all you can kind of do, like you know, um, when everybody's gone under. Um, and you know, like you know, the banks and everyone seems to have stepped up a bit. You know, like banks, are, uh, you can get freezes on your mortgages pretty freely for six months or rent. You know, I just saw that you can't now get a tenant can't be thrown out of their uh, property for the next six months if they don't pay their rent due to COVID-19. Um, so there's a few things like that because everyone's in the same boat. Everybody's everybody's hurting. But yeah, that's financially, 1100 every fortnight. Now, this is an interesting one because that's one thing, announcing it. Another thing is actually getting it because, um, you know, they announced this like, what, a week or so ago. Now, I, I'm on a, um, an amazing Facebook group called Freelancer Village, which is basically about, it's about 6,500 of Pretty much all of Australia's mid to senior level um, live event producers on this page, and we're always sharing weird and wonderful ideas and and uh, things that we need to find out about in events. Um, but obviously, the talk's all on there because everybody's everybody's self-employed. So what do we do? Um, and you, you have this, you know, this thing where that you register your intent to claim um, with them, which is just a one click, uh, which I know Gally did a while ago. And then if you go on and try and actually put the claim in. That's a whole different ball game. And Gally and I were just talking about this yesterday because I've tried every day, every, almost every hour of every day for the last week to go on and get, and the page is, is the page just crashed. So I mean, obviously, yeah. I get it. You know, there's so many people on there; they can't keep up from an IT point of view. But I'm just wondering if this if this is still going to be the same in like a week or two weeks, three weeks time. Um, I'm not quite like sure how that's going to work. I can see them backdating it, you know, if needs be. But yeah, I, yeah, 
Don't worry, a bit of a head scratch. Yeah, I've got I got about two weeks before uh, the, the ship starts like sinking. Yeah, I've got. I mean, we're we're personally we're you know we're we're quite lucky because we've been saving for I don't know how many years, eight years to try and buy somewhere, and we were just looking to try and buy a sort of little introductory little place down here down the coast where we are. Couldn't afford anything in Sydney, so we moved down the coast. Um, and we hadn't we we haven't quite done that, so we got a little bit of savings from that. Uh, which yeah, long savings just to save your. I mean, you will if you have to. I mean, that should be the whole point of the government coming in to try and help people. So the the dreams that you have of owning a house down in Kiama don't get taken away because. Well, that's the thing, but, but realistically, they will. I mean, we've got enough. We've got about another uh, week or ten days money. That's it. You know before I need to start going into savings. I've, so at best, a week, week to 10 days tops. But um, yeah, like, like Nick was saying, this is a, this is like, is it's, it's unprecedented. So it's like, I mean, the government seemed to be, I mean, I don't envy their job. It's just a, it's mm. just a fucking nightmare. And it's going to be, it's going to be, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of people worse off than, worse off than us, you know? Um, I mean, I, I, one thing I will say actually, um, there's a thing called APRA. Uh, it's um, it's the Australian uh, Performer Rights thing. So they look after your royalties and stuff like that. Now, why is it about? Say again. They are quite good for it too. Oh, they're, they're, they're brilliant. They've always been fantastic. So you get a thing called live returns. It's just like you play, when you play music, you, you submit your set list and you get money. I get about four between four and five grand a year from them. But they um they sent a letter to you today saying uh, we're going to, uh, they normally pay in November. So we're going to pay everything in, in May. You don't have to, you don't have to put in your returns. We're just going to pay you whatever you got last year. So, I mean, wow. musicians out there listening, yeah. get on to opera because they're, you know, especially, especially, especially songwriters because you're always at the end of the food chain anyway, you know? Or at the end of yeah. the money chain, with the way things go, so th that's why they're so important, especially yeah. songwriters. They're fantastic, you know, like, they're really great. Yeah. You know, they, yeah, they really step up, you know. And they stepped up this time. They're just going to give everybody their um, their royalty fees that they got last year, and then they're pushing it six months early. <clears throat> you know, which is great. It's funny in terms of, you took point there, Gally, about the timing of it, and obviously nobody really knows, right? Nobody knows when how long it's going to last. But um, I, I I thought you know I mentioned before I'm on that. Um, Facebook page, Freelancer Village, and, and this is all the event, you know, all the sort of senior rent people. So everyone was sort of asking each other, what, what the, what's the gut feeling between everybody and what's the response that we're getting? Because all, all of us work for uh, people, company, basically, you know, companies are paying, companies that can't organise events, don't have the means to, but have the finances to sponsor, pay us to create their events for them. So we get a vibe and a feeling from them about what the, confidence levels are and where all that is and generally the feeling is that um nobody is going to try and organize an event before the end of september at the very earliest like like even that's a bit risky most most of us agree that mid mid to end of october is when the first major live events will start to be back on the calendar i mean it does sort of time in naturally with the weather getting better into summer and stuff anyway so people will go hard on that Sorry? 2nd of October is my birthday. 
Oh, there you go, mate. I'll do one for you. <laughs> Galley's the 15th, so, you know. Festival, festival of your choice, yeah, mate. So is the world's back on track by my birthday. <laughs> but it's interesting that it's that far ahead. You know, apart from the fact that, so, built into that sort of timeline, if you think about it, is that um, people's expectation of, like, this bottoming it out, then it getting better, and then you get to the point where, you know, thumbs up, everyone declares that from a health point of view, we're all good to go again, which is... I don't know. I'm guessing, let's say July, June, July, right? By the time everyone's talking. then you've got a whole buffer where you just people's confidence is kicked. So people's confidence has to come back just generally. Um, and then the live event industry, you have to get confidence back in spending the money that you don't have on something that you don't need. <laughs> you really want, but you don't need. Um, and then you've got the whole thing of sponsors. Um, you know, the com- all these people that are paying, you know, because the people that pay for the events are the sponsors and corporations. There's much interesting side note. I mean, people often don't know if you're not in the event industry and, and running the numbers. Most people, from my experience, assume that ticket revenue is the biggest source of income for an event, and it's definitely not. So, ticket no. revenue on a, on a typical major event would uh, account for. 10 to 15%, maybe 20% of the amount of yeah. money coming in the door only. Yeah. So, exactly. I mean, music festivals. Yeah. Major, major live events and outdoor events. So, music um, slightly more because the price of entry is, you know, higher um, than it is for a live event, say like a food and wine event or those kind of things is lower. So, music, it would be, it is a higher percentage, but uh, most people just kind of go, oh, yeah, you know, 30,000 people, they've all paid. 150 bucks each that's how much money they've made um and it's much more complicated that but anyway my point was that um the confidence in those people has to return um plus it takes time to organize an event you can't just put it out the air so and that all those things combined i think is a sort of three month window so i reckon if this if this was all like tickety-boo health-wise by end of june july i reckon it would be end of september early october by the time we're seeing major events rolling out again in the big cities. Yeah, yeah. Guys, just hang on two secs. We've got to run off, do a quick piece. Wait a second. Now we're back. Rock and roll, mate. Right. Glass of water and a biscuit. That's it. Hey, cup of tea, yeah. man. That's all you need. <laughs> Smashed the bottom. Living the Corona dream. <laughs> uh, tea's cheaper than wine, though. Uh, where's he gone? Bathroom. Going to fill it. Open another bag of goon. <laughs> Get that pillow out, son. <laughs> Did I miss something important? You feel feeling better now, brother? Drew, have you been off and cr- do you crack open another bag of goon, mate? No, no, no. I'm just, uh, I'm still on my. Uh... Is that what you pour it into, is it? Yeah. Hey, wait till I get my new vape pen out. Oh. It's going to get real. <laughs> well, it's a, something I wanted to ask you, Gally. Um, you spoke before about, you know, the internet and discovering music and, and, and stuff. Do you think, I know, look, it's, it's difficult to say because it's, you know, the shutdown is really early stages, but do you think that 
could eventually be a, a good revenue stream for someone like yourself? Or have you tried things like, like I said before, I'd seen on your website, you know, the, the online gig that's coming up, that sort of a thing. Is that something that might be able to sustain you for, you know, the six, six, six to eight months or is it too hit and miss or no, just a, uh, I mean, not I enough I pretty much with like day one of the gigs going, I was like, that was first thought in my head or I'll do a, an online gig and, um, uh, just uh, anyway, put it up. Uh, sold a few tickets, but like we're in forty-eight hours. Everybody that had a guitar was there yeah. doing free free concerts. You know, free free online streaming, and now like literally everybody's everybody's doing it from Robert Plant right away down to Michael O'Flaherty next door with his <laughs> missus and his Tim Whistle. You know, <laughs> so it kind of made them. Um, I, I still think I probably would have made a bit of revenue from it, um, and I was going to go ahead, but I'd been here, I'd been kind of back and forth on whether I should just the hell would it just do it as a free concert or what? And then I thought, you know what, fuck, I'm going to stick to my guns because we keep selling ourselves short and we keep, you know, giving away everything for free and our music for free. And I went, you know what, fuck it, if I make fucking nothing, at least I'm, I'm standing there and I'm. Trying to yeah. put worth to what I do and what I sweat at and what I've been working at for for a couple of decades now, you know. So yeah, I, I, I mean, all the way right up until I finger off. So I better to cancel the gig anyway. So yeah, that's no good. But I I hundred percent agree with you there. Like I don't, I'm giving stuff away for nothing when it when it's. Like even if it's two two bucks that people are going to pay you for a song, like it's it's something for for your work, you know. I mean, you, we've spoken to to other artists about you know suffering for your art and and that sort of stuff, and you do suffer when you create, um, in in some ways, some ways it's a a, a positive suffering, but uh, to get nothing for that, I and mean, I've heard that a lot of people have said that to me, you know, like I oh, just just give your stuff away, put it online, and you know people will gravitate towards it, and you, you know you'll get paid later. Yeah, or maybe they won't, you know. So maybe you do need to be a little bit greedy too. So. Yeah, it's 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 a pain. I mean, that's just that's just a fucking, that's the way it is. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah. But I mean, everybody in there, everybody in their own corner now plays. You know, there's yeah. a gazillion guys like me out there, you know, playing and that. So you can't really come playing about it. it's just it's just a field we're on it's just yeah. you know what you have to play and you, you have just have to either enjoy it you know just get on with it that's just the job you know it's a pain yeah. in the arse or whatever but that's just, now the, the field has completely changed and we're now in uncharted warrior uh, waters but so who yeah. knows what's going to happen have, now but have you thought of of things like um patreon and things like that where you know, I haven't you, looked you, into you, it. Yeah, I've seen it. I haven't looked into, it. but I think that's a bit like. I mean, I've done a crowdfund and it didn't sit well with me asking people for money, and I'm probably mm. going to have to do another one. You know, but I, I think Patreon. Friends, I Patreon haven't really looked more, into it. You know, I don't. Yeah, well, Patreon. I know a lot of podcasts use use Patreon and a lot of YouTubers and that sort of thing, and it'd be more like a because I was thinking about your predicament. Now, when I was going to bed the other night, and and I think it is something that possibly, like for artists, is long term where you'd give an exclusive. I think Patreon's more like giving people exclusive content. 
So you'd be like, okay, look, I'm writing this song and it's for only people that pay me three bucks a month. You know, like, and, and, and you get, they get access to your, whatever your latest song or whatever you're working on or, you know, the, and when I talk about, you know, internet streams of money that you could create for yourself, I can see there is opportunities there for people like yourself, you know, to, to do that sort of thing. It's just whether or not other people, you know, the, 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 the audience is there to take it up for you as well. well I, so. I think, Gally, with your fan base that you have, which is worldwide now from, you know, Europe to Brazil, Australia, um, I'd, I'd love to see you do the gig. And even though we're good mates, uh, I, I would make a donation to it. You know, if you could get the gig up and live and just say, look, I'm, I'm doing this because I can't gig around town and I want to play for the people, I want to play for my base audience. And um, look, if you can spare $1, if you spare $20, whatever you got, you know, it's going to go towards helping me, my family and me to continue the work that I'm doing. Hey, I, I, you know, you don't put a price on it as a ticket sale. Open it up as that's a. Right, uh, but that's that's for that's me. That's difficult. You know, that's that's what I find difficult. Yeah. I, I think you'll be pleasantly Can you can you above my way? Well, I think you'd find you. Well, you, I I would like to I think. Mean, I'd, rat, I'd rather go out and get You know what I mean? Get on the building sites. You know what I mean? Can you throw me a couple of dollars? Can you please? Give me a fucking chill, oh, dig your hole, you know what I mean? I think yeah, but it's the same. You've got to look at it the same as busking, though. You know. I think you'd be pleasantly surprised with your fan base. That um, you know, that, <coughs> you know, we would throw in a couple of bucks to see you play a live gig, you know, and even more so. I mean, look, they've got all these fucking online hookers who are doing it, and they can see the people who are paying them. <laughs> they thank them straight away. Not that I know anything about that, but. You know, you're doing the gig and seeing, you know, you know, Paul donated $20, uh, Nick donated $30, or Brew donated $3. Um, you know, you would just you'd be able to see it and thank them throughout the gig, you know, as it's coming up. I mean, there are apps and things like that that you can work through and, uh, you know, look, you give an hour of your time, play a gig, tell some stories. You know, look, it's one of those yeah, things. Maybe that's the way it's going. Maybe first, that's the way we have to do I mean, when it. I first started, when I, Gally, when I first started seeing you play, when I first met you, uh, was during those, uh, you know, those Mirabelle years and those pub gigs and stuff like that. And um, I'll be honest, I didn't come for the music. I came for the fucking banter between you and Mikey Gray. The ego versus ego show, I used to call it. It was fucking brilliant. The songs were good. And they were just like a nice little interlude. So when you got into the middle and you started fucking attacking each other and taking the piss out of each other, that was the show, you know. I think you're a great storyteller. You're a great musician. Look, I think any of your fan base is happy to chip in any little bit that they could to see you do like a one-hour little live show. I think personally, me, I'd pay to see it. Yeah, well, I think that's it's probably the way it's the way it's gonna go. You know, I mean, if you got, if you want to play in front of any kind of audience, I think that's the only your only option in the next um, six months. You know, and and you might actually. I was just thinking of what you just said there, Nick. What you just said there about uh, you're thinking um, September, late September, October. Uh, I was thinking, fuck it, I'm just gonna book a tour now for October and just go. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the the other interesting thing, mate, if you think ahead about this, is that uh, it's you kind of need to because 
Um, if you look at all the events in the year, there's, there's going to be there's no events from. I mean, I know, you know, like it literally in the event industry, literally fell overnight on Thursday and Friday two weeks ago. It was it was Thursday the twelfth of March that the whole thing fell over. And but by the end of Friday, every every gig pretty much had been, even though the public didn't necessarily know it at that point. Um, it was kicked off by you know like Coachella and South by Southwest, um, Live Nation, you know, who control most of the major tours and in some way or another cancelled cancelled nearly two billion dollars worth of tours on that Thursday night. Um, and so from early March until the end of September, there's going to be no like I mean I'm not talking there might be lots of little events going on and those of course will pick up in winter and so on, but um, nothing. So what's going to happen is the second that uh, an ounce of confidence returns in the market, people are going to be tripping over themselves to fight for those weekends. And you're going to end up with too many events and not enough dates in the calendar. So, so don't underestimate that because that makes things way more competitive than they normally would. Not for anyone's fault. It's just that everybody wants to make their buck and get the event on. So I would, I'd say from, a, from an event organizing point of view, uh, even if you don't, well, tell the public, and if you want to do things, you know, like the the first things you do with any events, you know, book your venues and the logistics, um, I would get those under about as, yeah. as soon as you have an ounce of confidence. Yeah, that would be my recommendation from an organising point of view. And not only that, can you imagine the amount of albums that's going to be released next year? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's going to be great for everything. Day. Everything's going to get hit. You know, like everything's on hold, right? Even like Hollywood movies are all on hold. They're all going to drop. <laughs> you know, everything. It's going to be great for punters because the demand of music and art that's going to be created is going to be amazing. But for Actually, us, I, I, I saw a good tweet today. It said, if you think things are bad now, imagine when this is all over and everybody who's been in isolation puts in their script for how they dealt with being in quarantine. <laughs> with their lovers, the family... <laughs> Murders that they committed during the quake. Like the scripts are going to come flying out. It was a very good tweet. I, I can't remember yeah, who it was, but I was like, if you think it's bad now, just wait till it's fucking over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. There's been some good. I tell you what, there's been some good banter, hasn't there, online? I'm sure everybody, you guys, everyone listening, will have had their phones beeping every two minutes with some bit of filth. Uh, it's pinging backwards and forwards. One of the best ones I saw a couple of days ago was um, it was like a fake headline from New South Wales Police saying that they'd foiled. <laughs> they said um, they discovered a shipment of toilet rolls um, wrapped up in a huge bag of cocaine. <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, uh, fucking world's gone crazy when we're fighting over fucking toilet paper. People are being tasered in the supermarkets. I queued up the other day, and the security was trying to get the point across to people about social distancing at 1.5 meters, and no one was listening. I turned around, there was three police officers in the supermarket in the queue who just came across and said, Listen. You have to pay attention to the security guards. They mean fucking business and we're here to enforce it. So fucking move. And I was just like, holy shitbags. The police are now fucking guarding their aisles of the supermarket. Sure, they're doing something better like catching criminals, but no, they are there policing the fucking aisles of the supermarket to make sure everyone gets their toilet paper. I mean, that's world gone crazy for me. Well, that's, that's, that's also, that's also the, the, the one thing that, that, 
like because the conspiracy part of my brain goes fuck these the, the government is overreacting so much like look at the numbers look at the numbers that die from the flu every year look at the small numbers that have got corona and have, have died from corona in australia alone the, the reaction has been so beyond I mean, anything any of us have experienced it has to it has to be serious like it has to be bad. I think it's worse than what they're telling us. That's that's the conspiracy part of my brain going. I've got a very good friend of mine who keeps telling me this is just the dry run for the big one. They're just testing it out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Well, the, the thing you know, the thing to not underestimate is that I, I personally I think that the the reaction of the public is actually more of a problem than the than the virus itself in a way because oh, um, you know it's it's indicative. It's a it's a classic snapshot of what people are like in 2020 as a humanity like you know we're we're reactionary we follow we follow like sheep like we do what you know this that and the other we, we listen to everything we're told like it's, it blows my mind the way that um friends and fa- well-educated friends and family just quote shit from the news that they say for god i know we've been doing that since google was invented but um just oh this is happening that's i'm like what are you talking about like that's clear like someone told me the other day that they were like, oh, yeah, um, I heard that Russia's not got any cases at all. I was like, do you not realise how Russia operates as a country? Like, of course they <laughs> Of course they have. Like, it's a massive lie. Um, but, yeah, for me, it's more of a, a long-term problem. Not a problem. I know it's not a problem. It's just the highlighting how we are nowadays as, you know, as people, really. I think it really does. Yeah, it's kind, so, of, kind I mean, of scary in a lot of ways, too, you know, like the the, the, the way that we can be led so easily you know and and that even a couple of weeks ago like before you know when they started sort of you know trying to control the numbers and people congregating and people were shitting themselves you know you go into woolies and the, the panic in people's eyes just as they're walking around with their trolley sort of you know looking at everyone like they're that they're an enemy like just and that was at the beginning that was before they'd even really brought in any restrictions that people were going mad straight away that's what scares me is, is the funny reaction? thing is, mate, if you look at this, is if you, you know, people will go, oh, you know, World War One, you know, 100, ye- 100 years ago now, more than 100 years ago it started. Yeah. And and the classic thing, you know, World War One was the propaganda from government, which led the people to, you know, basically unite and, ca- and be happy to be, to die for their country, the propaganda. Um, and that's what people believed and they led. Nowadays, it's still propaganda, but the people have created it themselves. Like we we've created our own propaganda. We're we're telling everybody. We're all telling each other on social media how bad it is, and we all believe each other. But for me, that's fascinating. The fact that it's exactly the same thing. It's exactly the same process of believing and following as it was a hundred years ago in the war. Um, But in the it completely turned on its head. It's the same outcome. Like people just going a bit nuts. Yeah. Now it's from Instagram influencers. This is true. Well, okay, so a question for both, you know, Gally and Nick. Nick, first, uh, we touched on this earlier today by text, but when it does turn around and we, we get through this dark period, how do you feel we'll be able to restore faith within the population to come back to live events, to come back to major events, Um what do you think the timeline is on that true period? Because 
yes, they can say, okay, everything's good now. You can get back in groups of, you know, a thousand. You can go to the Enmore Theatre, which is uh, 2,500. But how do you restore faith back in the community? How how long do you think that's going to last? Because that's that'll be the true essence of the real turnaround within the industry. Is Look, I, I, I don't think... The venues. My, my own opinion is that I don't think anybody needs to worry about um, people's enthusiasm for live events and their dedication to live events and entertainment. When people, people you know, ask me what I do, if they don't know, uh, I normally tell them I do something that, I do a job that nobody needs, but everybody loves, right? <laughs> so that's how I view my job. Um, so, but it's essential, like the, the darker it is, you know, darker life is, the more that just by human nature, you require um, release and entertainment and, you know, community and fun. Like that's just, that is just how it is. Um, so the, the, the enthusiasm for live events and that, I, I've got absolutely no doubt about that will return. And it will ret- in the first instance, it will return in a, big, in a big sense after people's confidence has come back in. The thing that I do think is going to change is... Um, how how the financial part of that works because um people will naturally become more cautious uh, in the first instance i think particularly ticketing companies um and major events you know where I, someone was telling me yesterday they think that perhaps the ticketing companies are going to go for models whereby instead of just buying a ticket for your festival it'll be much more like you know you pay ten dollars a month for the next 12 months for your tickets and some of them do that already but they they thought that that would be much more rolled out across the, the way. And I think, I mean, we often see in Australia, um, people buy tickets, people do buy tickets for major events relatively late in Australia compared to other countries. And a lot of that is due to the weather, um, to be honest, because you guys don't even, you know, you think in England, you know, we have to think about it all the time. We, we put on a, a festival, I've worked on festivals couple of years ago in the UK in the middle of August, which is midsummer there. And you're still looking at rain insurance and, and this stuff, you know, here it's like barely even occurs to people that it might rain. And if it does, whatever. So as a result, um, people, the yeah, exactly. But people decide later because they can, why wouldn't you, you know? And it is, that's really fascinating between each state in Australia as well. There's really quite marked behavioral patterns. Um, each state, weirdly behaves quite differently in how soon they sign up for um, events and stuff like that. So I think that people will naturally um, sign up later, um, which is a pain in the ass for event organizers, it, because mainly because your entire marketing department are just having absolute nervous breakdowns until <clears throat> the last minute. Um, so the whole thing does become more complicated because there's, a, there's kind of a lack there's not that, you know, once people start buying tickets to your events, everybody relaxes. In, in, the, in the event organizers world, everyone starts relaxing because you've got physical evidence that, that there's interest in your event, particularly new, new concepts and festivals. Um, and the later that happens, the more you panic and the more you start to cut things. Because, you know, from a production point of view, you, you've committed your money way before the day of the event. You know, you've, and in the industry as well, we pay for everything. So in advance so you know i I might put on a a normal you know standard festival you might have a a million dollars to from a production budget well i've pretty much spent probably 850 grand of that before anybody even walks in the door you know that's just the way it is 
So to not get your ticking revenue or not get your confidence in sales until very late in the day um, puts the whole industry in. Um, oh, it's just it just adds more nerves to the process. It doesn't mean that it won't work. I think it will work. Confidence will restore, and I think people will actually be surprised how quickly it just returns to everybody drinking bloody lattes and avocado smashed avocado on toast every two minutes. <laughs> like you know, it will just be forgotten like that. But um, so yeah, I, I guess my answer doing? is that finance. Sorry. What about what about confidence? I mean, I think you're right. I think people um, people will be dying to get out there and, and party. What about you, you guys who actually have to spend eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars before the event is even on? How's that confidence going to come in? Well, that's my point. Is that you know where's that? If you say to somebody, okay, like if you put on a major, I mean, music, music events are slight, slightly different, but no, essentially, you know, like I, like you know, Gally, I've worked on. You know, everything from sports to entertainment to food and wine to music, like that whole cross section of events, and they all kind of work the same. You know, you spend different percentages on different elements of the of the build, but logistically, much of it's much the same. Um, and where does that money come? Where does that money come from that I'm spending? You know, to to build that village, that festival village. You know, and it comes from lots of different sources. And it's like I was saying earlier, a lot of people just think that the majority of income only comes from ticket revenue. And therefore, people think that um, that the influence of people buying tickets is the most important thing. But actually, it's, it's often not. It is, it is more so in music, but in other live major events, you get equal amount, if not more money, from corporate sponsors, you know, like um, companies that are forever trying to look, they've got tons of money trying to look cool and don't know how, you know, like banks, insurance, finance. Um, all these kind of companies that you see sponsoring VIP areas and all sorts. Then, so those are the people that are giving you tons of money. Plus, you know, um, all the you get a lot of money from you know huge percentages of money from food and beverage sales on site uh, uh, events and festivals, um, and and that comes down to people on on the ground as well. You know, if, if you turn up, if somebody's only just able to afford the ticket, they're not gonna they're not gonna go and get loads of food and drink there. And also, um, the way that a festival organizer does that is, you know, normally that's a whole load of individual food, you know, food bands or whatever. And those people are paying you um, a few hundred dollars, five hundred dollars a day to be there, you know, because you can't go around. It's impossible from a festival point of view to try and take a percentage of people's incomes from all the food and beverage outlets uh, unless you wholly own the contract for it. So. Um, it, it feeds in terms of how a festival is um, created financially and all the elements that come in, you know, in terms of income and all the expenditure that go out, it's way, it's way more diverse than people might realize. Um, but that also means that there's way more people that can be panicked and way more people that can be more uh, delayed in making that decision. And the whole thing adds up to, yes, it will still go ahead, but um, I don't know, it just makes, yeah, the, what, unless something is really definitely going to happen, um, that's the problem. And from, from my point of view, I, I, I get involved a lot nowadays in the creation of new major events and festivals. So people are literally, we're working on a couple now um, where people, which could be huge, and people are saying, I've got this idea, I don't know how to make it happen. And that process is like a year and a half, two years from, from when, it, when somebody seriously says, we can, let's do this, to actually delivering the event. Um, and 
what's going to happen is that all those new ideas, which the public may never even be aware of or being created, unless they're ultra solid concepts, are just not going to happen. So that's long term, that's the impact of this. The events will still go ahead, but what you will see is less creative and less like out there events, unless they're really niche and they've got a dedicated, you know, I'm doing a gin festival for 500 people, bang, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of, um, that's my take on it anyway. <laughs> yeah, but you are all, I mean, your industry is a, um, you're all crazy. We are, yeah. We are. No, we are. I mean, you have to be mental to do this job. You're all Kevin Costner. Build it and it will come. They will come. <laughs> I, I just... Maybe not as reckless as that, but you know what I mean? Paul asked me earlier on in the intro, he's like, oh, you know, so what's Nick's job? I said, well, Nick's the guy that has 500 people come to him and what say... What was Nick's job? I, what was <laughs> There's 500 people that come to him and say, I have a problem. And Nick's response is, no, you don't. We just have yeah. solutions. We don't have problems. Yeah, you don't have a problem. Nobody has a problem. But the only, basically, on an event site, I always say to people, like, there's only one problem. There's only one thing that's a problem. And that is if somebody is about to die. That is the only thing that matters. If somebody is not about to die, your problem is really not that big. Yeah. Well, part of the solution of them. Okay, the problem is, okay, right. If we had all of the money in the world and all of the time in the world, can we do it? The answer is yes. Well, then all we have to do is figure out how to get all the time in the world and all the money in the world. That's right. <laughs> That's very, right. Very so it can be done. It can, it be, can done. be done. You can always find a solution. I, I, would, I would say that if you haven't found a solution, you just haven't thought hard enough about it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's easy to say that. That's, that might sound complacent in this current atmosphere. So. Mm. Mm, wow. Jeez, we, we crossed a lot tonight, gentlemen. We did. Been, we did. Absolutely. It's uh, beyond my expectations. Paul, what do you oh, think? stop it. Yeah. I'm welling up. <laughs> no, I just want to say thanks to both of you for just giving up your time and and you know could, yeah I'll, I'll definitely want to go back and have a listen to this one because we covered a lot of stuff and it made a lot of interesting points I would like to extend an invitation to both of you to come back after this shit is finished um, and maybe do a little bit of a recap and also do what our podcast is normally about which is about the music that you listen to in your youth, in mainly your teenage years. Um, so just it's maybe it's a later stage in the year when all this shit has passed us, we can get back together, do this again, and have a bit more of a, a, a laugh and a bit more of a lighter conversation. But thanks to both of you. I really appreciate your time tonight. It's been, yeah, been really good. Uh, just before we go, I just wanted to Gally, how, how can our listeners get in contact with you, support you, listen to your music, hear your music, and support you and your family? So it's uh, it's 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 all over all all of the mediums, but the best one is straight to the website. So if you do want to, or second best would be Bandcamp. There's a great great um, uh, website called Bandcamp, and most like I think even Beyonce is on it. I think everybody's on it, but they're actually they actually pay you, not like Spotify. I mean, I had 48,000 uh, 48, listens in the last quarter streams. 
and it worked out at like uh, 0.002 cents. It was it was just ridiculous. It was close to fifty thousand, and it, it was just you know you, you couldn't even buy it. It was just ridiculous. Um, it's not Spotify, so what, what are you saying? So where's the best place to listen where you, where the artists actually get some revenue back? Is it See, if you're buying, and this goes for any artist, if you're buying any artist's music, if you're downloading the music or buying a physical copy, go straight to the source, go straight to their website. Um, and what's your website? That's it. Um, if you want to, I know everybody puts on Spotify, it's so easy and fair enough. I know I do it myself, I'm guilty of it myself. But um, definitely, if you want to uh, download stuff, go straight there. And if you like, you know, somebody's album, buy their fucking music. Because, you know, that's our only revenue now is live music. We, that's it. And that is now gone. It's dead, you know, and it will be for the next six months to a year. So, buy them. Um, from the back, Nick, I can't read it. I'm getting to that, Nick. I'm getting to that. So... <laughs> Go to band, band camp, right? For any artist. <laughs> <laughs> go on, So, band camp is the best for revenue, or well, direct to you, which is direct to the artist, yeah. So, my artist. website is galley.com.au. So, G A L L I E. So, mm -hmm. galley like a ship's kitchen. Except for an IE at the end of it, dot com dot au. Okay, we will be putting that all on our socials. Uh, we will put that. Uh, I told you, Nick, it should be my manager. Give up the stream of festivals or whatever the hell you do, whatever the hell you do, give it up. Be my manager. We'll take the shit in the road. We'll make nothing. Actually, we can't even take it on the road. Actually, stay where you are. <laughs> you, heard, you heard it here first. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> and, and 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 Nick, is there is there any way we can support you uh, or your industry in general that you know of? Um, just, I mean, not me directly, obviously, but just um, go to events. You know, go to events, spend money. It'll be fine. We'll look after you. Yeah. You know, if you want to spend money, <laughs> yes, you want to spend money. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Hotmail.com. Send as much as you want. If you want to send money to Nick, just send it to mine. I'll pass it on. <laughs> Paul, you want to round us out, please? Yeah, Matt, just again, thanks so much, guys, for coming on. And uh, I really, yeah, really would like to get you back at the end of the year, go through this again and have a bit more of a lighter conversation. But it's been really um eye-opening for me and and yeah i think for andrew as well so thanks again guys really appreciate it no problem yeah thanks guys thank you. thank you so much for giving up your time tonight and we really really do appreciate that uh to all our listeners if you can do anything uh look buy some music to smaller artists uh venues like uh the emerald theater or um the oxford art factory buy a t-shirt online they're closed down right now they have no foreseeable opening any little bit will help. And um, look, if you all band together and give a little bit, uh, we'll see it on the other side and uh, we'll see you at the next event as soon as that first event comes up. Looking forward to it. Gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show tonight. 
Really, really enjoyed it, and we can't wait to have you back again uh, when we get through this dark period. Yeah. Take it easy, guys. Stay safe. Absolutely. Stay safe. Wash your hands, you dirty fuckers. Guys, thanks so much for listening. That was another great episode. Great episode. Awesome. Uh, please don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Check out our Instagram, at Zorola Podcast. Upcoming guests, little highlights, little bits of video and stuff. Um, if you want to drop us a line. Please do. Please do. Send us an email, ZoyolaPodcast at yahoo.com. Pick us up on some mistakes. Uh, remember, though, Zoyola is spelled with an X, not a Z. Generation X. Generation X. Um, but yeah, look, we're open to all feedback. Um, if you give us a follow on Instagram, we'll give you automatic follow back. Just because that's the lovely guys that we are. So lovely. So lovely. Very happy. Um, look, if you want to be a guest, you know of someone that wants to be a guest, you like what we're doing, you just want to say g'day, just drop us a line. We'll, we'll read everything, try and get back to you if we can, and uh, hopefully give you a shout out if possible. Have a good night, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.